0: Hello and welcome to Happy Place, the show which discusses mental health issues openly and honestly, but in a way that feels uplifting. Not my words, but those of The Running Baker, who left us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, The Running Baker. We are doing our best and I'm so glad that you're enjoying it. It makes my day. And today is no exception as we go to meet the inspirational, incredible, amazing, there are not enough words to describe how much I love this man, Henry Fraser. A
1: part of me wasn't in that, that I was kind of like, this, this can't be true, this can't happen. And then that moment I had where I had to let it happen, I, I couldn't deny it anymore, this was my reality, this was my future.
0: And now, here's the show. the person we're going to meet today, Henry Frazier, is an exceptional artist and an inspirational human being. Though that's not what he would have described himself like when he was young. He played rugby at school, loved going to the gym. He's one of four brothers in what could be a pretty competitive household. But around 10 years ago, when he was 17 years old, that life was turned upside down.
1: So we're just kind of having a lad's holiday after our exams, just... Away in Portugal celebrating enjoying a week away just eight of us and we're just on the beach one day we've just been kind of kicking a ball about and down in the Algarve in Portugal so it's boiling hot in the middle of summer and I just ran into the sea just to go and cool off and like I had done earlier that day and every other day on the holiday I'd done the same thing but I just ran into a different part of the sea where there was a bit of an undulating seabed and where I've dived in I've just kind of hit my head on a and it was just like a, a sandbank, basically, and where well, I thought it was just going to be deeper, but a sand wall was in the way. And then opened my eyes, expecting to kind of stand up and walk out the water, but open my eyes to be just staring down at the seabed, just floating in the water. My arm was just dangling in front of me. And then, yeah, from that moment, kind of everything changed.
0: From that moment that you then ended up in hospital, and you still weren 't quite sure what the diagnosis was and and how your life was going to unfold, you seem to still have optimism there
1: yeah I, a big part of that for me was came from my family and friends from the day after the accident happened. My parents flew out to Portugal to be in hospital with me. They packed for what they thought it would only be a few days stay and ended up being nearly three weeks in the end. But just kind of having that support there was a big help because it kind of did help my take my mind off it. But at that point in Portugal, my mind was kind of all over the shop. I was on a lot of drugs. So I was very ill. had a lot of other a lot of other things going wrong. And then, yeah, when I came back, it was straight away. My brothers saw me the day I came back and my friends were there. And that was a big help. But I guess I kind of had false optimism at times early on because I didn't know what the future was going to be like as still lying in a hospital bed. Part of me still kind of thought, oh, everything's going to be okay. So, yeah, and then it wasn't until the, the day when I was put into a wheelchair for the first time that everything kind of really, really hit home with me. I was, um, was put into this big chair that had big armrest, headrest, I still couldn't breathe myself at this point. And I was taken around the hospital, and I just it just felt really good to be up and about out of bed. And it was the first time i have been out of bed in two months. So I got to see all the place in the hospital that everyone was speaking about and could kind of picture it all now, not having to try and imagine it in my head. And then we went outside because it's end of summer, it's warm. And as I came back into the hospital doing main entrance, there were these two big glass doors. And it was the first time in two months I saw myself. And before the accident, I was this fit and healthy 17-year-old, but I saw this completely razor-thin kind of young boy just looking back at me. And by that point, I'd lost four stone. And I just didn't recognise myself at all. And then when I got back to the hospital room, I just I just broke down. And I just cried and cried all day, just cried. And that was the first time I kind of really questioned, well, why me? Just why me? Why me? And I just wanted to be able to hug my mum. I couldn't even do that. And my brothers came to saw me, and I was crying. My dad came, and I was crying. And then I just went to bed that night, and I was, yeah, was just just couldn't stop crying all day and then about I don't know early hours in the morning I then had that kind of I'd felt everything I needed to feel by that point and I suddenly had the thoughts of kind of I've got no point feeling this way I've got no point feeling sad or angry I'm kind of may as well just get on with it and from that day my whole mindset completely changed and I was able to look at things in a very different way and get on with life and start pushing myself like I never had done before and just kind of try living my life in the way I wanted to.
0: I found reading that bit in the book so massively poignant and and remarkable that you had been through that process because at this point you'd learned that you had lost the use of your legs and arms And, and you said there was that moment at first where you weren't really digesting that information. It was all too shocking and maybe you were sort of protecting yourself somewhat and, and that wasn't sinking in.
1: I guess it's kind of that classic denial stage of when people go through a big trauma in their life. A part of me was in denial that, that I was kind of like, this this can't be true, this can't happen. And then that moment I had where a lot to take in one day where I had to let it happen. I, had to de- I couldn't deny it anymore, this was my reality this is my future
0: you know a lot of people wouldn't bounce back from that a lot of people would just go I can't deal with this but you were, you managed in that moment of being in complete despair to have a little spark a little chink of light where you went I'm gonna I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna there's a future for me and I'm gonna live my life do you think that's just down to how you are naturally and your outlook on life
1: um, no, because before and I was complete opposite. Mentally, I was, well, mentally, I was very weak. I kind of never, whenever I had opportunities kind of give it to me, I'd be very easy to turn it down and not do it because I was so, so afraid of failing mm-hmm. that I thought failing was like the end of the world. I never wanted to do it. So I never pushed myself. And so I was very kind of physically strong, but mentally weak. I gave up on a lot of things. I'd rather just not do stuff than fail. Whereas now it's, the complete reverse it's my almost my strength is in my mind and not the body anymore i guess i'd had to kind of so much well at that point i thought i'd so much taken from me i had to kind of reevaluate how i thought about things and how i thought about life
0: And you really did, you know, your rehabilitation and recovery was, it was slow and it was long, but you did not give up. And you worked so hard to breathe that assistance and then also to be in the wheelchair that you're in now that doesn't have a head support. When you're in that moment where you know, you'd had that moment of despair where you saw your reflection in the mirror and and you were rock, rock bottom. How do you then start to pick yourself up to go, you know what, these are my goals and I'm going to do it. I'm going to put everything I've got into achieving those goals.
1: Well, I just did set myself goals, but small goals. It's so easy to kind of have that goal of, all right, I want to get out of hospital. There's so many other little things that you need to break it down to, to get to that point. So I just set myself goals of, Trying to spend more time in the chair, trying to spend less time off the ventilator, more time off the ventilator, just trying to build up to then breathing independently for myself, to then move into the rehab ward and push myself in the physio room, and all these little things. I never once in my head set a goal of I wanted to be out of hospital. Goals I knew that I could hit quite easily, but when you set yourself goals and targets that's small, but every time you hit it, it does lift you. It makes you feel better. Then. Gives you that belief that you can do more, and you can then start pushing things. And the more you start to do, you can push the boundaries. And that's what I tried to do in that time, and it seemed to work.
0: (laughs) Well, absolutely, and it's you know it's the title of your book, the little big things. Each Mm. sort of moment that you know you reached out for, and that you you know you got that goal, you reached that goal, and you achieved it. It was it was such a boost for you and such a lift for you, and and you started to reevaluate the size of everything in your life and and how those moments those sort of seminal moments felt to you there's that heartbreaking but brilliant moment where in the book you describe feeling daylight on your skin for the first time after was it months at this point in hospital
1: yeah I think it have been nearly nearly two months since I'd seen the outside I'd been in Portugal i was stuck in a room whereas I was personed off the whole time so I couldn't see outside and when I came back to England, I was in, uh, in terms of therapy, which was a room bang in the middle of the hospital, so there no daylight at all. And then suddenly I could see it, and I was bed by the window, and you, you kind of, it's like you've kind of never felt sunlight before on your face. And the moment I was first allowed to drink water again, it's like I hadn't, I hadn't drunk water for weeks either. And it's like it suddenly tasted so good, and he then become far more grateful for everything, for the little things and... And again, when you think about life in that way of being grateful for the little things, and you look for the little things, you then realise, oh, actually, my life is good. I've got so much to be happy for, so much to kind of look forward to. It's a, uh, and I kind of, I, well, people always kind of compare their lives to other people, but it's not about comparing. I never want to compare myself to people that were worse off than me. In the hospital, I just thought about my life separately because it's. It's kind of everyone thinks about it differently. Everyone has a different life and it's just finding those things in your life. Lots of people can do it and it's people just find it harder but I don't know that's just everyone thinks about it differently.
0: They do but you know you're right everyone does think about it differently and and you made a choice that that's how you were going to think about it that you were going to throw gratitude at the small things in life and you know, we're all so massively guilty of not doing that, of not appreciating perhaps the obvious things in life, the simple things in life, but you've massively committed to that. Has that been tough or is it now just such a natural state for you to be in that you're just always going to look for, you know, it being glass half full?
1: Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm at a point now where it's in my head that's just, yeah, that's how I look at life now. And I guess I'd take it back to before my accident when I wasn't like that and all those things I've, did take massively for granted that now I do make sure I'm grateful for them because it's and you know, I've been showing that life's too short. In the times when I was in Portugal, I flatlined multiple times. I had a pacemaker um, to keep my heart going. My body temperature was off the scale, kind of fatal levels at points, and and I had all these all these other issues. And since then, it's I've just tried to enjoy life and. just get on with it.
0: (laughs) So how long were you actually in hospital in its duration?
1: Six and a half weeks in total so two and a half weeks in Portugal and about six months back here.
0: Because you'd seen um, another patient at the hospital who had been through something similar and he was pushing himself in his chair and that's where you started to really work up your neck muscles that would enable you to, to do that and that was that was a long process for you.
1: I was still on the acute ward, so it was quite early on in my time in hospital. I think it may have only been a couple of weeks after I had that kind of realisation moment, that terrible day. There's a couple in the room opposite me who came in and said, oh, we've got a friend visiting us who's similar level of injury to Henry. Would Henry like to meet him? And at that point, I kind of res- I was- wasn't really up for it. I kind of focusing on myself, and I saw him push himself past my door. and I suddenly thought, well, that's weird. I have been told that would never- can't be done, that can't happen. And this guy's one vertebrae lower injury than me, so he had he's kind of got a bit more movement in his shoulders. But for him to still be able to do that was a huge thing, pushing himself. So I Mum just go speak to him. He gave Mum uh, the number of his physio he had outside the hospital. So then Mum called her straight away and said, can you visit Henry, can we speak to you about this? And the first day I was allowed home, we got her in. I was only home for three hours, she came in for two of those hours. And she said, what, do you want to be able to... To do you know I said I want to be able to push myself and she said all right we'll work towards that and to me my family we were all in shock because we like, in hospital it was always no you can't do this you can't do that and in hospital it was very much the focus of everything you can't do is never what you could do and this physio just kind of changed everything so every time I came home every weekend we'd get her around and she'd be a massive help we'd go back to the hospital with all these new ideas of telling the physios and then they started to think oh where they're getting this from and they found out and wrote a very kind of strong, strongly worded letter to my physio. They weren't very happy for some reason.
0: Um, That's so bizarre, isn't it? Considering like your results were so brilliant.
1: Yeah, it was weird. And I, eventually, by the end, within the last few weeks, they're finally on board. But by that point, it's kind of a bit too late. But I hope I kind of changed at least one of their minds there to kind of look at things differently and think, look at patients differently, not just what it says they can do in the book. So, yeah, to push myself was a huge thing. And it was all just from trapped muscles and neck, to the top of the shoulders. And it was probably the thing to this day I'm most proud of myself about. To kick back and not kind of conform all the time was a good thing. Mm. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
0: And then so when you first arrived back to your family home, how, how did that feel and what was that transition like for you?
1: Well, um, one of the things they encourage in the hospital is to have, kind of when you get to the rehab ward, they try and encourage you to have days at home, and then they, so you have like a one, like a Saturday at home or something, and then do you have weekends at home, they try and build it up, and over Christmas, I was allowed home for about a week, it was quite nice to break it in that, that way, but when I came home for good, it was the a, a day I left the hospital and put it in the car, and I just cried, because it I don't know why I kind of still to this day don't really know why I cried that day but I just did and then when I got home it's obviously I was so happy to be home for good and I could get back to kind of a normal life but then at the same time there is that kind of worry in the back of your head that you're away from kind of the safety of the hospital and should anything go wrong but I'm more I was more just happy about being home
0: one thing that I loved reading about in your book is a passion that you rediscovered whilst you were still in hospital and that is painting and you started off on the iPad, right?
1: Yeah, so that was, I was introduced to mouth painting in the hospital, but I kind of really didn't want to do it at that point. It wasn't until, it's three years ago now that I started. I had a, a sore on my back, pressure sore, which is a consequence of spinal cord injuries, your Skin, from where you can't feel, is very vulnerable because of lack of blood flow and things. And um, I had this sore on my back, so I had to stay in bed and rest, and I was getting pretty bored during the days. And then I just, yeah, found an app on my iPad that I control. But I have an iPad that I just put cushions on my lap and an iPad on top. And I have a mouth stick with a, just a stylus taped to the end, and I touch the screen. And um, Yeah, I found a very, very basic drawing app and started drawing away... Just kind of trying stuff out, experimenting with very linear, basic drawings. Then when I was well enough to get out of bed, moved on to pencils and a few months after that I started painting and yes, it's kind of been a mad three years. It's kind of, kind of it's cool because it's, when I was young I really loved drawing and painting and then as I got older I really, really started to fall out of love with it. Didn't enjoy it at school, mainly because I, kind of rugby is going well for me and both of them require a lot of time, and I chose sport over art, really. And then, yeah, it's kind of been a mad three years. It's given me opportunities that I've kind of never really thought would happen in my life, that I only really dreamed about. And, I mean, it's part of the book. It's part of what got me the deal to do the book as well. So, it's, yeah, it's been fun. It's been mm. a good few years.
0: Well, I mean, we've got to state for people who haven't seen your art, you're, you're a serious artist. These are amazing paintings. Like, when I was looking through the book, I was just... I was totally blown away. They're beautiful and really different subject matters that you're tackling as well. So you went through that bit of, I don't really want to do this, but I'm bored, so I'm going to give it a go. To then, were you back home when you started to then experiment with paint and pencils?
1: Yeah, so that was all, yeah, that was all here. Um, And then freedom and then being able to move on to painting. Because my life now is going out public speaking, giving talks to lots of places, and then being here painting. And the mix of the two, kind of where I can sit at my easel and be in my own world and kind of shut off from everyone else, then out in front of people and sharing my story. And I really enjoy it. It's a great balance. And there's two things that I never ever thought I'd do in my life. I never wanted to do in my life. And the accidents kind of led me back to these things that I never wanted to do, but I'm grateful for it now.
0: So, when did you start to really hone your skill and, and, and also kind of establish what your style of painting was and, and start to get a bit of a kick out of doing that?
1: A couple of years ago, maybe no, about a year and a half ago, I'd say probably, I was, asked, I was commissioned to paint someone to do painting of Steve McQueen. And I thought I'd try kind of a different style of painting. And it seemed to just really work. And then from that point, I've kind of stuck with that style, that kind of formula of painting. And that kind of just seemed to suit me and suit how I paint and my style. And led me to all these kind of different other subject matters but it's always painted the same way so without that commission I probably wouldn't have found that style and I guess I don't these things always seem to have a way of working out but
0: and when you're doing a painting and you're really enjoying it what what is that feeling that you're getting because I love painting personally and for me it is like you say being able to just sort of like be on your own be in that space be creative and and see what comes out how how does that feel for you?
1: I've always been someone who's just like, like my own time. I don't know, the rest of my time, I've always kind of normally got people around me, carers, family helping me do stuff. But the painting is just me. It's just, it's kind of like it's almost kind of the one thing that is fully me. It's the one thing I can just be by myself doing it. So that freedom is a big part of it. But, and also the freedom to being able to create something, put your own stamp on it and make it yours is, there's something about it that just, I don't know, I just really do love.
0: You know, you're talking to hundreds and, and thousands of people at any one time and telling your story. How does that feel? Do you do you like telling your story? Does it sometimes feel too tough to have to retell it again and again?
1: Um, I quite like it because the reaction I get from people is completely different every talk I give. And public speaking is something I've hated my entire life. Just I despised it. I'd always you know, in front of the classmates in front of ten people. I'd always try and get out doing a presentation because. I just hated it. And then I was given the opportunity a few years ago, nearly four years ago now, to give a talk. And I just thought, kind of, just why not? Why not just give it a go? Why not try it? And I'm f- incredibly happy I did do it. Because, I mean, I'm still always nervous. I'm still always a wreck before I give a talk. But once I get into it, I enjoy it and I kind of get a rush from it at the end. But the kind of, I don't get emotional doing it. I wrote about for the start of my story. I don't know about ten months after the accident, and doing that was a quite emotional. Time at that point, I was using a, I did it through voice recognition on laptops. I was saying it all out loud, and it was the first time I'd ever said any of that stuff out loud. And it wasn't, it was only to me and a computer, but it was emotional because I'd never shared any of those feelings really. And then from that point, I guess I, I just kind of just get got used to it, and kind of to me now, it's just my life and my story, and the response to it is always mad and emails messages i get from people as well online are incredible it's always massively overwhelming i've kind of never expected what i'd say or anything i'd do to kind of impact others but it's kind of it is weird but in a good way
0: that's the power of being really honest isn't it and i guess sort of sharing your story and and letting other people hear it and massively gain from it when people hear your story and hear where you're at in your life now and all the brilliant things you're achieving you have to take a look at your own life and go right, I need to seriously have gratitude and also be motivated because they seem to be the two things for you that are consistent, your optimism and your motivation.
1: Yeah, and well, like you said, being honest as well. It's one mm. of the things I really wanted to have in the book is not try and sugarcoat anything, not yeah. about my story. I wanted to say, oh, this has happened and, and have parts of it where I did feel down. I was struggling. I did cry a lot. I was emotional. And it's okay because it's good to feel those feelings. And then feeling those feelings does kind of take some of the emotion away and then you can look at the more optimistic things in life. You can then push yourself and think about things differently. And it's, yeah, the gratitude and stuff is a big part of my life and does motivate me a lot.
0: If you are having a tough day or a time where you're not feeling great, do you have certain go-to things that you, you know will work for you, you know that will help you get out of that?
1: Yeah, well, it's really one of the questions I'm asked kind of most frequently is, is do I have down days? And honestly, I, I don't at all. I kind of I just look at my life in a way of I get to wake up and do something I love every day. I look at the family, the life... That my parents giving me and my brothers, and I get to keep challenging myself. I get to keep pushing myself, and when I look at my life in that way, I am lucky. Not many people get to say that, and those things. When I look at my life in that way, I kind of it makes me happy. It makes me grateful. It makes me want to push myself and try and achieve more and push myself.
0: Looking at your paintings, I can actually. You get, you get a sense of that. Like all your pictures, whatever they are, they look very optimistic and they look very happy. Like they've got a feel good quality about them. You can tell that you've enjoyed painting them and you can tell that you put a lot of love into them. And you did a series as well of sort of positive quotes and phrases, right? That was one particular exhibition you did.
1: Yeah. They're kind of phrases from my talk. When I had my first public exhibition a couple of years ago now, it was mainly I had some space I need to fill in the foyer area. I was kind of Trying to work out something to do with that, give away my paintings, trying to give people kind of a feel of kind of what's to come. And I just thought I'd give those a go and people seem to really respond to them. And they're kind of phrases that people can relate to, people can take something from. And they're some of the chapter titles in the book as well. And all the chapter titles are actually my mouth writing style. So it's nice to keep that kind of theme running through the whole book as well.
0: All the projects that you're sort of working on now, all the, all the jobs that you're doing, do have such a wonderfully creative nature about them, whether it be writing and future projects, obviously you're painting, and even with your talks, because you've got to have a narrative that you create, and that's, there's a performance quality to that as well. How important would you say creativity is to you at this point in your life?
1: Massive for me. Um, I mean, I've grown up in a very creative household. Both my parents and uh, mum there's interiors dad's a graphic designer by trade and I uh, went to art school and so I've kind of always been surrounded by art and I'm one of four brothers so one of us had to get the jeans somewhere the other three are completely useless <laughs> um but yeah I mean I, I really like it because kind of creative stuff is doing it. Is everything's always changing it's never the same thing the talks are always a different audience reaction is always different The paintings I do it pragmatically but it's always a different subject it's never the same thing it's and it kind of it challenges the brain to think about things differently and I like it because it does keep challenging me and pushing me to do different things it does keep me outside my comfort zone a lot and before the accident I was very much I was very happy to be in the comfort zone and not push myself whereas now I really enjoy it I enjoy the thrill I enjoy the challenges challenges are good things and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Failure's fine. To not succeed is fine. It's, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's something that you can learn from. You can learn from mistakes you made. And I've done that in lots of stuff, in paintings where I've made mistakes and I know not to do it next time in talks where and I haven't prepared right. I've learned from it and done things differently. And it's the challenge and pushing myself is something I really enjoy.
0: Would you say that's been a huge part of your rehabilitation as well? That sort of challenge element and also the, the creativity too?
1: Yeah, Performing accident, I always push myself physically. And I do do that now with a lot of exercises I do. But to move that challenge to something else is definitely a big part of the rehab. And when I pushed myself out of the hospital in my chair, that was one of the big goals I had. And that was a huge part of my focus in my rehab, to get better and to, to kind of just prove people wrong and push the system a bit like I hadn't done before. I can't paint on
0: an iPad at all. I've tried... So many times, and I can't do it. I find it so difficult. Um, you know, uh, Lee, who plays Keith Lemon, he he does that more than he paints on paper, and he's brilliant at it. There are like that, enlarging yeah. bits, and then I just cannot get it. I don't like the perspective's all out. It just I can't do yeah, it. Until. Well, cause it's Yeah,
1: well, because the screens were so
0: tiny. As well. I know, it's, I just can't do it. It's impossible. Mm. So when you were first given an iPad to have a go at using the mouse stylus. What was that like and what did you draw? Having the iPad was
1: a kind of, again, another kind of piece of freedom of independence. Um, so then when I found the drawing app and I was able to start, the first thing I ever drew was of Johnny Wilkinson drop goal from the Rugby World Cup 2003.
0: 2003. quite an intricate one to go for. First up, like a cat or a stick yeah. man. You've gone for like a specific sporting moment. Yeah,
1: well, to, it was... Because I kind of thought, oh, I really like sport, and I really like drawing, why not do the two? Why not? And then, yeah, then when it came to it, I was a bit like, yeah, this, is, this isn't this is fun. But kind of the biggest challenge on the iPad was, because I didn't have any pictures around it, I'd keep having to flick from the app mm. to the drawing, to the app to the drawing. So I was always having to kind of look at the picture, remember it, go to the drawing, and then draw it. So it's kind of a big kind of challenge on in the mind to remember it and where everything is and then keep flicking back. And it was quite... A, tedious process because it did go wrong quite a few times to kind of always having to delete stuff and so that's kind of why my very first stuff was always very basic but at that time for me I was happy with it I was pleased with it because it was a the challenge of just being able to get to that point I I kind of hit another target hit a goal so it did allow me to then move on to other things and expand.
0: What would you say is your happy place is your happy place painting or is that one of them?
1: I mean I'd say I've probably got quite a few Painting is definitely one of them. Being in front of people talking is another one. The painting is kind of my comfort zone. Speaking in front of people is the complete opposite, but I'm still happy because I know that it's something I never would have done if I didn't have the accident. And then just being out with whether it be my friends or my family, because they're people that have been there with me from the start and people that mean a lot to me, and when I can be out and enjoying time with them is a, big thing for me is a happy place and I do really enjoy that maybe more than anything really
0: well look thank you so much for your time today it's been as I imagined so lovely talking to you so thank you Henry
1: thank you very much
0: Thank thank you to the heroic Henry his book, The Little Big Things, is remarkable. I really do urge you to read it. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Next week, we meet Davina McCall. I've got a thing about undies, right? And I'm, I love, like, nice undies. Now, I'm, I'm single. I'm not doing it for, like, any, I'm not doing it because anybody's going to see it. I know it's there. Get that episode as soon as it's dropped when you subscribe. Do it now at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and more. What are you waiting for? A massive thank you again to Henry. Cheers, Hen. To the producers, Lucy Dearlove and Matt Hill at Rethink Audio. And to you, blimmin' lovely lot for listening. I'll see you next week.